Hey everybody, it's Adam. This is Fouled Out. It is April, and that means it is the beginning of our draft coverage. Matt and I will be doing four episodes over the next couple of weeks, uh, outlining some of our favorite parts of the NFL draft, including our favorite prospects and a mock draft there at the end. So the NFL draft is typically an event that Matt and I get together for every year. I'm not sure how COVID is going to affect our plans this year, but we're excited to at least talk about it and break it down. This is one of the main reasons that we actually started the podcast. So been looking forward to this for a while. Let's go. is here it is draft season episode one of our draft coverage uh probably out of four episodes might get crazy and do a little bit more what's going on matt pretty excited this is my favorite time of the year it's the only time the lions fans get to be optimistic oh i was just saying in the opening that we typically get together for at least like day two of the draft every year and I don't know how COVID is going to affect that this year, or what's, what the plan is going to be, but uh, at least we're here to talk about it. And this was one of the driving forces behind having a podcast in the first place was so that we could throw out super hot draft takes and then come back and delete the pod a couple months later. <laughs> <laughs> They're not the comments you're looking for. So without further ado, this is the quarterback episode. The plan for this episode is that we're going to talk about at least the top five quarterbacks or the consensus top five. They may not be everybody's top five in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, we're going to rank them. We're going to talk about what we like and don't like about them and why our rankings are different. Because, like I said, this is draft season is going to be the beginning of Matt and I disagreeing a lot and disagreeing heavily. And I can already think of one or two prospects that we're going to talk about today where we don't agree, which is okay. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'll be interested to hear where in the draft you value the guys that we separate on as well, because of the top five, I think I still have all of them being worth somewhere in the first round. It's just where I, anyone that, I'm higher on than you. I have going early and anyone that you're higher on than me, I have going dead last. <laughs> I'm putting the six round grade on them to get into the quarterbacks. And one of the reasons that we were so interested to do an episode just on quarterbacks is besides the fact that they're quarterbacks and it's the most important position in the NFL, if not the most important position in all of sports, we've only had two times in the history of the NFL where quarterbacks have gone one, two, three in the draft. And there's a very good chance. I would say almost a hundred percent chance that that's going to happen here. And we've never seen quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. And I don't know. What do you think? Maybe 50, 50 that we see a quarterback drafted fourth as well. It's pretty uncommon. Uh, I would say those odds are pretty good. I don't know that I would bet on it, but uh, you know, screw it. If it goes one, two, three, four, I will eat an entire cheesecake. 
Oh God, no, <laughs> not that funny. Really. Why would you do that? That sounds like you could end up doing something you don't want to, but I want to do that. So <laughs> that's rooting for quarterbacks to go one, two, three, four. So he has an excuse to eat a whole cheesecake by himself now. So I guess to kick us off, let's start with your quarterback rankings because uh, this isn't meant to be offensive, but your your quarterback rankings are a little bit more chalky. They're a little bit more, I think, mainstream than what I have. Um, unless you unless you switched up on me at the last minute. So my top three haven't changed. Um, those were pretty set in stone, but there was a little shuffling at the bottom, and that's gonna be we're gonna diverge there a little bit more probably but you know chalkiest of chalk I have number one Trevor Lawrence Mr. Sunshine um and then following that up I have Zach Wilson and then Mac Jones is my number three which can be a little bit controversial depending on who you talk to um and then this is where my changes start to happen. I actually, after, it's not necessarily so much based on the tape that I decided to change this, but just potential and all that other stuff, um, risk factors. I have Justin Fields at four, and then Lance and Mond is a very close number six um, for me. Yeah, I like Kellen Mond too, but we could not be more far apart on Trey Lance. I guess having Mac Jones as the third overall uh, is maybe a little bit different from what you might see out there, but as far as draft order goes, it certainly seems like the top three are going to be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. Not 100% on if that's the 49ers pick, but the intel we have at the time on April 8th here is suggesting that Matt's top three is going to go in that order. Well, and I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously I think we're pretty sure on who's going to go one and two. Um, I don't understand why the 49ers at this point would even be like, hiding who they're drafting because no one's going to trade up ahead of them it's like we we know that the jets are going quarterback if they don't that is the shocker of the entire nfl season <laughs> like, after trading away sam darnold they draft Jalen waddle second in the draft i don't know 100 percent where san fran is going and to be honest we have you know just just about a month, maybe 20-ish days until the draft. And I'm not 100% sure that the 49ers know where they're going right now either. They may really like multiple guys. They may they may have said, you know, we have a really good chance to get up to three. We know that Lawrence and Wilson are going one and two, and then we'll have our choice between the other guys and the other guys being Jones, Lance, and Fields. But from what a lot of analysts are saying right now, it seems like Jones is going to be the pick. Yeah, I mean, it is entirely possible that they haven't made up their mind. I see, I acknowledge that that's a, re- a possibility, but I just don't understand why anyone would give up two future firsts 
to move up that far amongst other things obviously and not have it figured out as to who you're going for i think you have to know if you're going to do that because if it misses <laughs> you're you are fired <laughs> you are no longer a gm of an nfl team <laughs> can you imagine if they get up there not knowing who they're going to pick and then they go ooh we don't really like any of these guys. <laughs> Let's go with Kyle Pitts. <laughs> oh man, there would be. Yeah, it would never live that down. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of people out there that really, really like Justin Fields, and that he's he's their number two. Um, obviously, I disagree on that, but I can kind of see their viewpoint, and I can see why he would be the guy at three. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who I think it should be because I am, you know, the more, the more we dive into this and the more research I do, the more I feel very isolated out on Trey Lance Island because I love Trey Lance and we'll talk about him in a little bit. I've loved Trey Lance for years now. Like I said, my rankings are probably a little bit more controversial than yours. Uh, I have Trevor Lawrence, number one, followed by my favorite quarterback, Trey Lance, at number two. Then I'm very, very close. I'm going to put Zach Wilson at three, but just ahead of Justin Fields. I was pretty close to putting Justin Fields ahead of him. Uh, And then I have Mac Jones fifth. I almost had Mac Jones six. And you brought up Kellen Mond earlier. And I almost put Mond in front of him. Still, you know, we'll, we'll get into why I have Mac Jones fifth, but yeah, I, I have, I'm not huge on grades as far as, you know, is this guy a first round or a second round grade? Uh, but I would say that I see all five of these guys going in the first round for a good reason. And I think that all five of them have a chance to be successful at a high level. The likelihood of all five of them hitting is very low especially with the percent chances that quarterbacks hit in this league. So in all likelihood, all five of them won't, but I, you know, I certainly am not going to come back post draft and say, Oh my God, I can't believe that they took that quarterback third or they took that quarterback at nine or whoever, because I see the appeal of all five of them. Yeah. I mean, as good as we think all of these guys are, every single one of them is a coin flip. Even Trevor Lawrence is still somewhat of a coin flip. Yeah, and it's just because we're putting these guys in a certain order. Like, if I say I have Mac Jones fifth, I'm not saying that I think Mac Jones is a bad prospect. Like, it sounds really insulting to say that I think he's the fifth best quarterback in this draft. And I'll, exp- I'll explain why later. But it's not to say that he's not one of the better prospects and not that he shouldn't be picked in the top 15 or the top 20 or that he's even going to be a bad quarterback. Like I told you this the other day that if he does get drafted third by the 49ers and he's their starting quarterback this year, that I think there's a really good chance that he could win rookie of the year because of the situation that he finds himself in with the coaching and the weapons on that team. Um, at the same time, just because it's going to be really up to Kyle Shanahan to see how seamless he can make that transition. Um, as quarterback friendly as this 
these Shanahan offenses are, it generally does have a little period before, you know, a new quarterback gets used to it. And that's even with veteran quarterbacks sometimes. Um, So if their rookie quarterback hits the ground running, like that in and of itself, I think is worthy of coach of the year right off the bat. Like, yeah, I just, I just wanted to throw that out there as an example of, you know, just because I have him fifth doesn't mean that I dislike him as a prospect overall. Cause typically if you're saying that someone's the fifth quarterback in the draft, that's probably like a, you know, second round guy or like a late first guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that all these guys should probably be taken in the top 20 at the latest. Yeah, if any one of them gets past Chicago, I believe Carlos is going to. <laughs> I, I believe that he will die. Yeah, I've seen multiple mock drafts that have one of these five guys getting past the Patriots as well at 15. Now, if one of these guys gets past the Patriots, I will we'll cancel the podcast. We're not doing a post-draft podcast. But anyway, let's, let's jump into them, and let's start with uh, – Mr. Number one pick himself, the guy who is almost guaranteed to go number one at that at this point, and that's Trevor Lawrence. He's been hailed as the number one pick in this draft class for three years now, I believe, ever since he was a freshman at Clemson. And if you're big into high school recruiting, you know that him and Fields coming out of high school were one and two, and that he was a very highly rated high school prospect as well he's kind of been in this slot for a long time now. And he is a guy who analysts are hailing as one of the greatest quarterback prospects of all time up there with John Elway and Andrew Luck. Like he's a very, very hyped up prospect and he's been very hyped up for a couple of years now. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he's certainly great as a prospect and as a college football player. Um, I feel like he's being treated like he's Andrew Luck, which I feel like is wrong, but he's fantastic. Uh, small side note, what's crazy <laughs> is that the guy who's about to replace him at Clemson, DJ Ugalele, is probably going to end up being better than him. <laughs> I'm very impressed by the pronunciation. That was, that was good because I – Saw the back of that guy's jersey, and I was like, nope, not doing it. (laughs) Calling him DJ. um, Him and Bryce Young are insanely talented, and I guess they, like, uh, went to rival high schools and, like, played against each other in high school, which is kind of crazy. That is crazy. It's kind of a similar story to Lawrence and Fields, actually, because they played high school football in Georgia, like, very close to each other. Yeah. But back to Lawrence, uh, there's just there's so much to like. Uh, I have I've got a few criticisms, and we can get to that a little bit later. But I mean, we'll start with the stuff that you can just see with the eye test. You know, his size, general athleticism. Uh, when he runs, he it's not just speed, or he's not like Lamar, where he's trying to miss every little bit of contact he's powerful and generally when he makes contact he's falling forward um and you know that's a big body to fall forward that's going to get you a few extra yards 
uh, which is always helpful. Um, and then, you know, you watch him throw and they don't all look the same. He's to use a golf analogy. He's got a full bag of clubs, you know, he, you know, he's got the driver, he's got his pitching wedge, his putter, you know, the five iron. He's got a tool for every job, which is what you want with your number one overall pick. (laughs) And then, you know, you, you see him in the pocket and, you know, he, he moves pretty well in there without just like failing. Um, you see that a lot in college. You, they get a little bit of pressure and they just fail. Um, but he can move up and climb in the pocket pretty well, which is nice because with someone that athletic, obviously there's usually going to be a little bit of a, a temptation to just use your natural gifts and outrun everyone. But he doesn't need to because he knows he can throw the ball 60 yards down the field. So, and you know, the ball really just pops out of his hand. He's, he's got a, a lot of power on his throws, um, especially when he's throwing off platform. It really shows up because um, he's, he's throwing it with power and accuracy, which not a ton of guys can do. And then... You know, you see him be on schedule. He's decisive. He's got a quick trigger. Uh, his pre, you know, he does his pre-snap reads, and he's pretty good at them. He can figure out where the ball is going to need to go, and he doesn't hesitate on where that on where that goes. Um, you never want your quarterback waiting to see if it's going to be an option. You want them getting that ball out before you even can see it because those windows, especially in the NFL, are so small. Um, he does a really good job there. It's just really tough, and he's a winner. And that really isn't something that you can teach. You just are. Yeah, like you said, he's just a guy who checks every single box that you look for in a quarterback prospect, like – you like intangibles. He's got the intangibles. He's like you said, he's a winner. I think he was 34 and two at Clemson, uh, won a national championship and his two losses both came in the playoffs. One was against Joe, Joe Burrow and one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen in college football in the national championship. He's got the elite arm talent. He's hyper accurate. He, one of the things that we talked about a little bit ahead of the show was that the quarterbacks in this class while they're all really good, they're somewhat hard to judge because of a lack of tape on some parts. And a lot of these guys, uh, like good examples are Wilson and Mac Jones. They both had their best year in the COVID year where defenses were down across the board. And then like Trey Lance only has one year because he didn't have a junior or a redshirt sophomore season because of COVID. So like, Trevor Lawrence does not have a lack of tape. He's a three-year starter and he's dominated ever since he got on the field as a freshman. Like if you believe in breakout age and that being a good indicator of how successful you're going to be in the NFL right away, this dude was dominating as a freshman. He threw 30 touchdowns and four interceptions while completing 65% of his passes. And like, yeah, he's had a lot of talent around him at Clemson on both sides of the ball, 
and good coaching with Dabo Sweeney and that staff there. But he's played well in the biggest games. He's dominated against lower competition and just, you know, this, like you said, everything that you want to see from a guy that you're drafting first overall and that you hope is going to be your franchise quarterback. I don't think the question with him is whether or not he's going to be good because I think he's going to be really good in the NFL. I think it's just like you said, and like I mentioned earlier, he's being hyped up as a prospect on the level of guys like John Elway and Andrew Luck, who are the greatest quarterback prospects of all time. Like that's, that's really important. This greatest quarterback prospects of all time. Yes. Not they were the highest. Quarterback. Yeah. Not the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but they're the greatest quarterback prospects. Like they were absolute sure things when they were coming into the NFL and he's being held that way too. So it's more just, does he live up to all of the hype? Because we've been hyping him up for three years now. And some people have been hyping him up even longer. But, you know, as we mentioned, he's not quite on that level. There are some areas that he needs to improve upon. And just like maybe some general questions that I would like to see answered when he gets to the NFL. A few things he occasionally just seems to lose track of defenders uh, when they're back in zone coverage. Um, that's where you see most of his interceptions come from. Um, not that that seems abnormal for a 20 year old kid playing quarterback, but it's something you want, you definitely want to see cleaned up. And he can occasionally, well, he, he does not very often, but he does stare down his receivers. Um, again, not uncommon. I mean, you even see some veteran quarterbacks in the NFL still doing that occasionally. Um, you know, you still want to see that cleaned up. Um, that can't be a trend in the NFL. Um, uh, and then you see him like just some of the easy ones he'll just miss on. And in some of the bigger games, the spoiler when I watch my quarterbacks, I watch the games that give them the most challenge because I want to see how do they handle that. And, you know, when uh, for Trevor, the last two that I watched was the LSU game in the national championship last year and the Ohio State game this year. And he was under a lot of pressure in that game. And you could see that was affecting his accuracy on downfield throws. And it wasn't so much like when he was being hit or being moved off his spot. It was just general, the added stress of constantly being under pressure was impacting his accuracy downfield. So it's not so much a knock for me as a thing where he has an opportunity to grow there. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple more things that I would just, I want to see how they play out interesting aspects to me, as we mentioned, like, how does he respond to playing in the NFL after the last three years of hype? Because that's a lot of pressure and that's 
even by like first overall pick standards. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things you touched on, I think, is really interesting and something that we'll talk about like really throughout our draft coverage is that the fit for these quarterbacks is going to be really important to how successful they are, just like it is with any prospect. The system that you find yourself in is critical to your success and your development. And we really don't know what kind of system Urban Meyer is going to install in Jacksonville because he's never coached NFL football before. And that, that could be good for him. It could be bad. You know, we'll have, we'll have to find out at the next level. Do you, you have any concerns about his size? He's 6'6", 220 pounds. He's kind of tall and maybe a little bit lanky for a quarterback. And some of the taller quarterback prospects we've seen uh, fail in the past. Like that's, you know, luckily he's one inch shorter than 6'7", because 6'7 seems to be the line where people go, oh, he's too tall now. So I think he needs to be aware of the carrot and the stick with his size, so to speak. At that size, it's actually a huge benefit for him in terms of manipulating the defense uh, because everyone can see your eyes. So if you're aware of it, you can, you know, play certain defenders that you know are more prone to react to where you're looking and then use that to your own advantage. But at the same time, still everyone can see your eyes if you aren't using that to your own advantage then it's a disadvantage i don't have any issues with like his build in terms of like getting injured or anything like that um i think more or less he's fine for the time being until something happens that could potentially pose a structural risk down the road but i think it's more of a matter of how do you use it to your advantage without getting taken advantage of. Yeah. I'm not really that worried about it either because a lot, I think a lot of the taller quarterback prospects who we've seen fail in the NFL aren't super athletic and he is, and he's kind of like, as far as height goes, he's the same height as Justin Herbert. And we obviously saw what Justin Herbert did last year with his athleticism and how great he was. So I'm not, okay. I'm not super worried about it either, but I, that was one thing that uh, I heard a lot of analysts mention is that he needs to put on some weight and he probably will at the next level, but NFL strength and conditioning program, like all these guys are going to look different. Like right now, Mac Jones, I think part of the reason that he does, he's not so popular with fans <laughs> is that like, he just doesn't look cool. Like he doesn't, he's a couple of years from now like he's gonna be a lot more fit and i'm not saying that he's overweight but like like we saw what stafford looked like for several years and then like he really really turned it on and got into nutrition and all that and like you could even see it in his face everything like he was physically just different and i think that's common for a lot of college athletes yeah i think that's common for college athletes kind of across sports. I think you see those stories a lot in the NFL and the NBA where guys start getting with nutrition coaches and strength and conditioning coaches, performance guys, and learning about how 
what they're eating and how they're treating their body affects their performance on the field or on the court. And they start to transform their bodies to become better athletes and be in better shape. Like you, you hear that a lot with guys. And I, I love stories like that. So, you know, as soon as I start hearing the Mac Jones is a vegetarian stories, he's shooting up the draft board to me. <laughs> so yeah, we, we both have Trevor Lawrence first overall. And I, I would say the majority of analysts still do like the majority of mocks you see are, he's almost a lock for the first pick, but something that's starting to become a really popular hot take is that Zach Wilson is a better quarterback or that he's people are now rating him higher than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it started with, I think Chris Sims was the first person to really have that take. But the more I looked up quarterback rankings, the more I saw it across the internet, like USA today has it now. And there are a couple other outlets that have it as well. And I just, I get it. And we'll, we're going to talk about Zach Wilson here in just a minute. And I, I get the upside and all that, but I think if you are ranking Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence right now, you're kind of overthinking it. And I think part of that is that we, like we said, we've been overexposed and oversaturated with Trevor Lawrence for years now. And he's, it's just been like kind of a foregone conclusion. He was going to be the first pick in this draft and Nobody had, cause nobody ever had ever said anything to the contrary, basically up until now when we're kind of bored and we're getting into draft season, we're really digging into these guys. And Zach Wilson is like the quarterback du jour this year. He's kind of like the hot name that shot up a lot of draft boards this year. And I think part of that is the oversaturation. And then I think the other part of that is what a lot of people refer to as the Sean McVay effect and Sean McVay, who is the head coach for the Rams He's very young. He's only about a year or two older than we are. I think he's like 32, 33, something like that, isn't he? And he was hired to the Rams. He was a quarterback coach in Washington, I believe, under Kyle Shanahan. And he was hired to the Rams without having a job as like an offensive coordinator or anything like that. And he was successful right away. When everybody saw how successful he was and how like creative and he thought out of the box and they basically anybody who had Sean McVay as a contact in their phone got an interview. And a lot of them got jobs as NFL coaches, how, you know, basically what I'm saying about Zach Wilson in this scenario is that when you watch his film and you watch, like, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about him in a little bit more depth here in a second, but like one of the big positives on Zach Wilson is that when you watch him, you watch like the athleticism and the, huge arm and the off balance throws and the playmaking and like the, you know, when a play breaks down and he makes these like insane throws and people look at that and go, Oh man, he's that's Patrick Mahomes. That's Aaron Rodgers. That's, you know, some of these other guys who escape and make these big throws on the run. And so that's why I think a lot of people are kind of getting obsessed with him because his tape is really fun to watch and he makes some of these big plays. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or you want to start diving into Zach Wilson. He's number two on our list. I don't think you're wrong. I think that's why people are enamored with him. Um, Which is interesting because when I watch him play, he just, he reminds me more of a faster Stafford. He plays very similar to Stafford. Although Stafford 
very much likes to play backyard football. That is when he is at his happiest. <laughs> well, we've talked about this before too, is that like actually the best comparison for Patrick Mahomes in the NFL is like, he's a better version of Matt Stafford because you watch Stafford play. And like, this is kind of the same thing with Zach Wilson is that like, he can make all those throws. He has a big arm and he can make all those throws out of the different arm slots. And yeah, people are like, Oh my God, Patrick Mahomes is the first person to ever do that. You're a big lions fan. I've lived in Detroit almost my whole life and grown up watching the lions on TV and like, I'm like, I've, I've seen Matt Stafford do that a bunch and he doesn't get credit for it. So I, I think that's probably a better comparison for Zach Wilson than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, I guess more my point is just that Patrick Mahomes is like so well known for the off script playmaking. And so when we see quarterbacks who have the ability to like be like, you know, what a playmaker, like a, you know, in the NBA, you would call it like a shot creator kind of guy, someone who creates shots for himself and creates shots for other players, that that's like a really popular mold for quarterbacks right now because of how successful Patrick Mahomes has been. And so we get really caught up in this, like, oh, he's he can do the off-balance throws. He can make plays. He can, like, you know, he plays, like you said, plays backyard football a little bit. And people get really excited about that. And, like, people shoot up the draft board. So. Yeah, uh, another comparison I've seen for him is Aaron Rodgers, which I, it bugs me because honestly, their play style isn't somewhere. Aaron Rodgers is very careful, very careful with the ball, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they're different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> Let's jump into Zach Wilson because he is very likely going to be the number two pick unless the Jets throw some crazy curveball at all of us so what what do you think you know you have him number two I have him third I have him behind Trey Lance so uh what is it that you like about Zach Wilson oh I mean we already touched on some of it you know the big arm all the crazy arm angles I love all that um I mean who doesn't but I also really like his aggressiveness with the ball I think that that's really important in terms of running an effective offense is that you have to be aggressive downfield because it makes everything else so much easier. Um, if they're afraid of the 40 yard bomb, then that makes the 15 to 20 yard dig 10 times easier. Um, uh, on top of that, uh, there's little things like his, his upper body mechanics on his throw are incredibly consistent it's like a well-oiled oil machine his those it's the same every single time no matter if he's throwing short medium long same every time which is great because that helps create consistency with your accuracy um uh, another thing i like he see a little bit of a perfectionist in him when he misses a throw uh, I don't remember which game this was I was watching, but they were down like inside the five yard line, and they've got a tight end split out to his right, runs a fade. Just it was honestly a fairly good throw, but he just barely missed him. So what do they do? They go right back to it, and he nails it. <laughs> I like that he 
saw that opportunity. He's like, no, no. Like, I could have had that. And he's going to be aggressive and go right back to it, and he's going to nail it. Um, that mentality, I think, is really important in a quarterback because at the end of the day, more often than not, it's got to be the quarterback that's got to put the nail in the coffin. Um, and I, I think that's extremely helpful. Yeah, real quick too, a story I heard that speaks to that mentality you're talking about of being a perfectionist and working hard. He So Zach Wilson was a three-year starter at BYU. He played nine games both of his first two seasons and then 12 games his last season. And if you look at his season statistically, the first two are really more mediocre than anything. And going into his final season, which obviously was a monster season this past year, uh, going into his final season, he was in a quarterback competition with two other guys and they didn't know BYU didn't know who their starter was going to be. So he basically during COVID during quarantine spent the entire time with his quarterback coach down in California uh, because he's from a family where luckily he can afford those type of things without NFL money. And he spent the like whole, basically the whole off season with his quarterback coach working on mechanics and working on like really sharpening things. And then he came back to that quarterback competition and blew the other two dudes out of the water. And then obviously had a monster season this past season. So. And I kind of talked about the aggressiveness earlier, but uh, to use my favorite John Gruden term, he will go after those turkey holes. Uh, um, if you guys don't remember, John Gruden decided to use that. Uh, I think it was on a Monday night football game um, for Stafford for when he hits tight windows. Um, but a lot of quarterbacks, they're a little bit afraid of going after tight windows if they don't have to. But I, I personally really like that in a quarterback. Um, Obviously, a little biased having watched that for the last 12 years. But I think it's really effective in terms of not only, you know, consistently moving the ball if you're able to do that, but also just kind of demoralizing the defense. If you're in zone coverage of the defense and you feel like you've got that shit wrapped up, and he just powers it into that tiny window. You almost feel like there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So we, we touched on the positives and, but when I was doing some research on him, there were, there are a few things that kind of stood out to me as like, I wrote down red flags in my notes, but I would say that only one of these is really a red flag and the other like kind of pink flags or just like things he could work on. You know, the main reasons that I don't have him as the number two quarterback, which is where most people have him as a consensus, are like the first first thing is that some of the words that are used to describe him by scouts uh, scare me. And I'll just throw a couple out there. Um, he has aspects of poor football character. He's selfish. He's entitled. He's a know-it-all. And... One scout called him Johnny Manziel, but without the drugs, which, I mean, if you know Johnny Manziel, you know, drugs are like a big part of that. So 
uh, <laughs> the comparison kind of ends there, but right. like, I kind of mentioned this offhanded while I was telling that story about him uh, going and spending the whole summer with a quarterback coach. I'd mentioned that he's from a family that can afford it. Like his family is very, very wealthy. His dad was, I forget what business it is, but it's like a huge company. His dad is like one of the co-founders of, and like, I'm not knocking him for being rich or growing up like rich. Cause it's not, it's not like, okay, whatever. It's not a big deal, but he, you know, when you hear that he's like selfish and entitled and kind of a know-it-all, it's kind of, and like, I'm just going to throw out a disclaimer that I cannot vouch for any of this personally. I don't know him. I've never talked to him in my life. He could be like one of the nicest guys in the world. I'm just going off of some scouting reports that I read, but typically these are not, these are not words you would use to describe any of the other quarterbacks in this draft. And if I'm looking for like my franchise guy with the number two overall pick, that definitely makes me nervous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as I've told you before, we don't have the power to investigate any of that. And that's really that at that. You got to keep in mind when we're talking about these kids, that they're kids and that they're 20 years old, 21 years old. It's like the oldest guys for the most part. Yeah. And that you're like, yeah, probably all of them need to grow up in some way or another. And I actually think that the jets are probably like it, it hurts me to say this because I hate the Jets, but I think the Jets are actually going to be a really good fit for him because uh, Robert Salah is not going to put up with any bullshit. Like he is going to, if he, if Zach Wilson does not want to grow up, he better get ready because I think Salah is going to make him grow up. And I actually think that that like aggressive mindset that you talked about fits really good with what Salah is going to want to do there. So absolutely, yeah. The only thing that worries me with the Jets as like a fit for him is that I think there's a lot of added pressure of playing quarterback in New York where like Zach Wilson is going to be the front page of every, like, you know, the New York post and the, you know, New York is that whatever. This is a good example. I was listening to uh, the ringer football show the other day and they were talking about Sam Darnold's time with the jets. And they were saying, if Sam Darnold was the quarterback of another team, do you think we would have spent like, two or three weeks talking about how he had mono last year. Like it would have just been, it wouldn't even, it would have been a non-story. It would have been like, Oh yeah, this quarterback is out. He has mono, but like in New York, you miss a game with mono and people are like, it's the end of the world. It's like, Oh my God, how could this guy get mono during the football season? What's wrong with him? Blah, 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 blah. Dirty Darnold. I know. So <laughs> the only thing I'll say is that like, I think if Zach Wilson is making like off the field, mistakes because of character or if he is like rubbing teammates the wrong way with the jets it's gonna be a major national story and it's gonna like be in the new york papers because the new york media loves nothing more than to tear down the guys who play for their own teams and criticize them you know so i i think the like just from a football perspective it's a really good fit we'll have to see like how he interacts with the media and stuff there and if any of this stuff is even really true about his character because like, you know, we both said neither of us can vouch for this personally and neither of us can investigate it, you know, not at the point where I can go and interview Zach Wilson. So we'll have to see. Um, But there, besides that, there are like a couple on the field things and like just scouting things that scare me a little bit. Um, One of them is that he is like a flash in the pan player in college. Like I said, he, played multiple years at BYU. He played nine games each of his first two seasons and his stats in those seasons are extremely mediocre. 
His first season, he had 12 touchdowns, three picks, and his second season was 11 touchdowns, nine picks. And then he, you know, part of it is, yeah, part of it is like that you do get better over time, for sure. Like you get used to the system, you develop as a player, you become a better player. There's also the story about him going and working with a professional level quarterback coach for a whole off season. Uh, but to come back during the COVID season, when, you know, we've talked about this multiple times on multiple podcasts that defenses were like really bad last year across the board to come back and have that be the season where you like pop off and you have this massive season statistically, he goes from throwing 12 touchdowns to 11 to 33 touchdowns and three picks. Like no doubt he had a great season, but you're, it's hard to judge that, I guess, when the backdrop is that he did it during the COVID season. And also the, the level of competition that he plays And we're going to talk about this with Trey Lance too. The level of competition he played against was uh, not as high as these other guys. And amongst the teams they play, BYU is like the better team in a lot of these cases. That kind of translates to on the field when he faced like a really low amount of pressure last year because BYU had a really good offensive line. So I would like to see how he does when faced with a little bit more pressure. And I think if you look at that coastal Carolina game, which like I'm, if I'm looking at him and I'm looking at his tape, the game that I'm actually most impressed by is coastal Carolina. The reason is because that game was scheduled. So last minute, like coastal Carolina's opponent that week, I think was Liberty and Liberty had to withdraw from the game because of COVID and BYU said, Hey, you know what? We're not playing this week. We'll come down there and play you guys. And, and like, he was good on the field. Like it was, it was one of his worst games of the season, but like, just think about you're being dropped into this game out of nowhere. You have no, you have like almost no time to prepare against a really good team because coastal Carolina is a good team. And it was the best team that he played last season. So for him to deliver in that game, I think is really impressive, but um, just generally overall, the level of competition, it was not there this past season. And just the final thing is uh, that he has some durability concerns. Yeah. He's had multiple uh, surgeries on his shoulders, I believe. And his first two seasons, he missed time with injuries. So that's a little concerning there, but like I said, like a lot of these things to me are like more pink flags than red flags. Yeah. And there's, there's a few things that I would like to see him improve upon. Um, and one that I just absolutely hate seeing. I I know that it can be improved upon, but man, do I hate seeing it. Just putting balls in places where he's leaving his receivers out to dry. Uh, and you were kind of talking about the New York media, and if he has issues with his teammates, man, if he's leaving his teammates out to dry, whether or not they are pissed at him or not, the New York media is going to create a story there. I was going to say, can you just see like the, you know, if it is true about him, like being a know-it-all and being kind of like selfish and stuff, can you see that? Like one of his wide receivers yelling at him on the sideline and he's yelling back. And then like, it's leading like sports center and we're doing a podcast about it. And like, (laughs) I just see that scenario playing out for sure, because it's the New York media and it's going to be, you know, if he's good, it's going to be a massive story. If he's not good, it's going to be like, it doesn't matter what he does. If he farts on the sideline, it's going to be a huge story. 
As long as it's dry, it's fine. <laughs> Couple things that I know he's capable of doing, but just needs to be more consistent with uh, timing throws. One thing, uh, again, totally seen him doing it, do it like a million times. I've seen him just ear hold defenders, whip it right by him while their backs still turn to him on timing routes. He can totally do it. Just I want to see him be, be more consistent with it. Um, missed opportunities there. And then just some of the easy throws. It's like, why are you missing the bubble screen? I've seen you drop a dime 60 yards down the field. How are you missing this one? Uh, his dropbacks, he gets a little bouncy, um, which doesn't sound all that bad, but when you're bouncy, you're changing your eye level. And if you're changing your eye level, the trajectory, like you're just going to have a hard time. Your brain's going to have a hard time calibrating exactly where to put that ball. Um, so you, you want to see a little bit more stable footing. It's Koji. <laughs> hey, buddy. My dog's in the studio. Everybody say hi to Koji. Other than that, like nothing up too big. Uh, a few like what the hell decisions here and there. Uh, sometimes I see him bail a little bit too early when there's pressure. But all that, honestly, that can be worked on because I don't see it on such a level where I'm like, okay, that's a huge that's constantly happening. I think the only other thing I would add is that he has a uh, propensity to play hero ball a little bit. And that's just like coaching. I mean, if you watch the tape, there's you can, there's a lot of tape breakdowns you guys can watch on YouTube where people will freeze it and they'll show you like, okay, he's he has a guy wide open, like five yards in front of him. And instead of taking that check down, he like uses his legs to buy more time and then wants to whip it downfield. And it's like, just in the NFL, you have to take that wide open guy at five yards. So that's just coaching though. And like, I like the aggressive mindset. I think that it is like, I think it's harder to make a guy who's a little bit more conservative be aggressive than it is to like reel in an aggressive guy a little bit and just like get him comfortable on your offense and just be like, listen, we can take the deep shot next time. Just take the, take the five yards, take what the defense is giving you. And yeah, just as long as he's like, he'll get coached up. And I think that that stuff is fixable. So you want to, you want to go to the quarterback that I have above him? Go to whoever you want. Oh man. Okay. I've want, I wanted to go to Trey Lance since we started the podcast, I would have done a whole Trey Lance <laughs> podcast if they would let me, the damn producers won't let me. Uh, <laughs> Koji and Marley are producers. So I, like I said, I have Trey Lance second. I have him above Zach Wilson. And like, the more I read, the more that I feel like this is like a hot take because I kind of starting to feel like I'm on an Island here, but I don't mind being on an Island. I I have been in, you know, the front, at least I was in the first boarding row of the Trey Lance hype train, like bandwagon kind of. Because I've I kind of been on Trey Lance for over a year now. Uh, he's someone that I looked up 
you know, knowing that the Patriots were going to need a quarterback when Tom Brady left, I started looking at this draft and thinking like, okay, what kind of quarterback could we get uh, in the mid round or in the late round? And I saw Trey Lance's name mentioned a lot. And then I started doing research on him and I was like, this guy's not going to be there at 15. He's not going to be there at 20. And I don't think he should be, I think Matt does since you have him fifth, I have him second. This is definitely, I think him and Mac Jones are like our biggest discrepancies on our rankings. Okay. So what do I love about Trey Lance? And like, let me, I'm going to preface this by saying that he is a total wild card. Like he, this guy has the highest variance of any of these quarterbacks. Like he has a chance to be the best of the five of them. He also has a chance to be the, by far the worst of the five of them. And a lot of that is going to depend on the situation that he finds himself in. Uh, The other thing I want to mention is that like, don't come back to me in one year and at me and say that Trey Lance had a worse rookie season than these other guys, because he is very, very raw and he's not ready to play right away. He is definitely not going to be ready to start this season. You know, he he may play some games later in the season, but he needs time to develop. Trey Lance is just a special, special athlete. His athletic ability is absolutely off the charts. He has a phenomenal skill set. He has, like, absolutely elite arm talent, like what we were talking about with Wilson, where he – like the ball explodes out of his hand and a lot of people saw it in his pro day. It was probably the first time that a lot of people saw him throw it explodes out of his hands. And then also he is like an incredible runner at the quarterback position. He is probably a better runner than Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are. He's extremely accurate and extremely poised under pressure. He, he has a lot of the same criticisms that Zach Wilson had that I mentioned as far as the level of competition obviously is not there. He played at North Dakota State, which is in the FCS, not even in the FBS. So he's not playing against the competi- best competition. He's also not playing with the level of talent that a lot of these other quarterbacks played with. And I think that if you FBS, like a really good FBS quarterback and dropped him into FCS, that you would expect him to have this kind of season that Trey Lance had. And like, yes, that's the other knock on him is that he only has one full season and it was as a sophomore. But like, if you look at the stats in that season, this is one of the reasons I really started like diving in deep to this guy. He completed 67% of his passes through for 2000, almost 2,800 yards and 28 touchdowns. And how many interceptions did he throw Matt? Zero. Zero. Goosehead. He did not throw a single interception that entire season in 2019. And well, let's let's tell them what makes that even more impressive. Out of all these quarterbacks in this draft, he's the only one that's played a 16 game season. That's true. That's true. These stats are over 16 games. And you like you may look at that and say, like, okay, he was 16 games, he threw for less than 3,000 yards. Like, what's so impressive? Well. He also ran for 1,100 yards and another 14 touchdowns. So now we're talking about 42 total touchdowns with no turnovers and about 4,000 total yards. And also like that rushing total, they detract sack yardage from your rushing total in FCS. So like, it's more like he ran for 1,400 yards or something crazy like that. Like the stats are mind blowing. And I think that if you, like drop someone like Justin Fields, who's like another hyper athletic guy who can run the ball 
into FCS, you would expect him to have this kind of season. So like, to me, the stats indicate that he's on the same level as these other guys, even though he played against really weak competition, but like, don't get me wrong. He's super raw. The competition is a huge concern. Like I said, this guy's going to need time to develop, but if I'm drafting him, I'm drafting for the next 15 years, not the next like two. You know, I'm not looking at him saying he's going to be rookie of the year next year. I'm looking at him and saying that from like a long-term perspective, he has a very, very high ceiling due to his athletic ability. And he really fits into where the NFL is going. And what I mean is that the NFL, like I said earlier, is starting to run more and more college concepts like RPOs and like specifically for him, things like read options. Like if you watch Kyler Murray down in Arizona, there's read options, there's design quarterback runs, there's all sorts of stuff. And dude, Trey Lance is like incredible at running the ball. He's absolutely built. I think he's like 6'4", 220, 230, something like that. Yeah, 6'4", 230. He's built. He's durable. He, like when he runs the ball, he can run people over. He can run by them. He can juke them. He can throw on the run. He is incredibly accurate. He's got a huge arm. He's just like a really special athlete. And like, I could see him being like a Josh Allen type of player. Like, I think it's, this is kind of a lazy comparison to compare him to Josh Allen, but like, it's kind of a good one because Josh Allen came in the league, like really raw and like not really ready to play, but was forced to play right away and had a couple of bad seasons and then like really broke out this last season and was absolutely incredible. And that's kind of the trajectory that I could see Trey Lance taking. But like I said, like you want to talk about variance, this guy has the highest variance of any draft and Matt, I'll let you do your piece on this too. It's just kind of like a feeling of like, how successful do you feel like he's going to be? And like, to be honest, part of it for me is just that it's like a gut feeling that I just like, I just feel like he's going to be successful. I feel like he's going to be near the higher end of that variance instead of the lower end. Because like when you read scouting reports about him and like information about him, it's kind of like the opposite of what I talked about with Zach Wilson. Like this guy's described as like a leader where people will run through a wall for him and he's a film junkie and he is obsessed with like, not totally opposite of Zach Wilson. Cause we mentioned that Zach Wilson is kind of a perfectionist as well. But they're like, this guy is the first guy in, last guy out mentality. He's like obsessed with watching film. He wants to know everything. He's so smart and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. That was my Trey Lance rant condensed from an hour and a half podcast down into like a couple minutes. So Matt, what do you, how do you feel about Trey Lance? Cause you have him fifth out of all these guys. Yeah. Uh, so before I get going, I'm curious, is Josh Allen your comp for him? I'm not really a big comp guy. Cause I'm not great at it. Um, and like I said, I think that's kind of a lazy one because like you see like the big arm and you see like the rushing ability and you go like Josh Allen, but I think there are probably better guys to throw out there. I heard a really interesting one for him recently. Um, I think you have to add like a disclaimer onto it, but Steve McNair, but Ooh. obviously more athletic. Yeah, I, man. R.I.P. Steve McNair. That made me right. sad. That was my dude. Mm-hmm. I loved me some Steve McNair. Yeah, I mean, Big Air McNair is probably a pretty good comparison for him as well. Yeah, and like the physicality aspect, 
definitely matches. Yeah. I guess like the only thing I wanted to add that I, I didn't hit this point hard enough because I'm going to talk about this a lot with like fields and Mac Jones as well. Is that like just where the NFL is going teams want and need mobile quarterbacks. And like, you have so many guys who can throw the ball well, but not so many guys who have this running ability and this like just pure athleticism that Trey Lance has. Like he's someone who could put up a season, like what Kyler Murray was on pace to put up this year where he was going to throw for 4,000 yards and run for a thousand. Like, obviously that didn't end up happening, but like, that's kind of what I see is Trey Lance's ceiling. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you definitely hit on like what we all like about Trey Lance. Um, you know, I also really just, I like the way he throws the ball, not necessarily saying like the ball itself, but his stance when he's throwing. Look at his feet. They are grounded. And that's a big dude. Like that is going to allow him to follow through a lot more than someone who, you know, gets into, you know, throwing off their toes or, you know, throws off their back foot a lot. None of those are things that you want, but they also make it harder if you, you know, aren't in an ideal situation, like, you know, getting hit in the hip. Yeah. Impact you a lot more than when you got, you know, what's it, 230 pounds grounded. You're going to be able to drive through that a bit more. Yeah, that's really what helps him. Like we talked about with Zach Wilson, we talked a lot about being like a playmaker and being like a quote unquote shot creator. Like Trey Lance has all of those same abilities as well. He's just a bit more like raw. And part of that is just because like he's so big and so built that, yeah, like, he can throw the ball while getting hit. He can make that like off platform throw because he is so like strong. Yeah. But unfortunately there's a number of questions about him. One of the big ones is, you know, how much was he benefiting from the structure of that offense? Uh, You look at his passing reps. He really, did he break 30 attempts in one, one time? I'm not sure if he did. I'm not sure, but yeah, you're, you are right. It North Dakota state runs a power run offense. And so it's a lot of like running the ball and then throwing off of play action, stuff like that. Yeah. And they're actually really like whoever developed that playbook did a really, really good job. Uh, there's some to steal a phrase from, JTO Sullivan, they have some fantastic uh, offensive architecture. Uh, they just they put defenders in positions where it's it's almost impossible for you to expect your defenders to make the right call. Um, and so it's like, okay, how much was he benefiting from that? They weren't really asking him to carry the load. And while it's great that he's played a 16-game season, he's only played 17 games. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I don't really – I know a lot of people soured on him after that uh, showcase game they had this year. I'm not holding that against him. I 
I haven't bit, but like that's more of a risk assessment than like how good I think he can be. Uh, it's in that situation, hadn't played in forever and a ton of rust. You're kind of dropping this dude. Like in that game, you're dropping this dude and this team into a game kind of in the middle of nowhere, like with limited practice time. And like, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Like, yeah, it would have been nice to see him be a little bit better because I think he was like 15 for 30 in that game with a touchdown and a pick and then like ran for two touchdowns as well. And it would have been nice to see him be like a little sharper, but I don't. I don't know if you just hold like this random game in the middle of a time when they weren't even having a season against him. Yeah. Uh, there's just, you can't hold that against him. And there's a lot, there's a lot to like about him and he can absolutely be the best player in this draft. That being said, with the risk assessment, if he's drafted anywhere between well, I guess not 12 anymore because San Francisco moved up, but he's drafted like in the teens or at 20. Like, like yeah, that's either going to be a steal or a waste of pick. And that seems. This is the guy where I like, I feel personally like the 49ers should draft him third. I do not feel like he's the right pick for the Jets, even though I have him above Zach Wilson in my rankings. I still feel like Wilson's the right pick for the Jets. And like the 49ers, they're so, you know, there's so much, so many rumors about them going with Mac Jones. And that's because, and like, we'll talk about Mac here in a second too, but that's because like Mac Jones is more in the mold of like a Matt Ryan. Trey Lance is more in like that Robert Griffin mode. And like you saw, like Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator of Washington when Robert Griffin was there. And like, people are probably like rolling their eyes. Like, oh my God, Robert Griffin is garbage. Like, what are you talking about? When Robert Griffin was a rookie before he hurt his knee, he was the most electric player we've seen ever. He was incredible as a rookie. And so I kind of look at it and I'm like, man, if you're Kyle Shanahan, do you really want like another guy who has? And so I kind of look at it and I'm like, man, if you're Kyle Shanahan, do you really want like another guy who has like not elite athleticism? Like he's really good at timing throws and like all that. Or do you want to like take a chance and do you want to, go with like a fields or do you want to go with a Trey Lance who is a Trey Lance is the best athlete amongst all these quarterbacks. Do you want to go with someone like that and try to recapture some of that magic that you had with RG three with some of the weapons they have up there? I heard, I can't remember if it was Brad Coleman or someone else, but I heard someone say that, you know, it's the idea out there that the ideal quarterback for the Shanahan system is someone like Kirk Cousins. But it's wrong because the ideal quarterback for Shanahan offense was Steve Young. Mac Jones, as much as I like him, he is never going to be Steve Young. No. <laughs> so he is more athletic than I think people give him credit for. Um, I can get into that. I see why Kyle Shanahan would go after Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Yeah, the, the one thing I will say, though, is that if you do draft Trey Lance third overall, like we said, there's an incredibly high variance and he's super raw. Uh, if it doesn't work out, then John Lynch is getting fired. Like, <laughs> hands down. 
if you draft him third and he doesn't work out, everybody in that front office and coaching staff is gone. Like, unfortunately, you know, so, but I, I like, I think that's a a five-year extension. Yeah. I was going to say, if he pops off and he ends up hitting the level of uh, player that I think that he's going to be, then they're going to win multiple Super Bowls with like him. And, you know, if you, you put him in that offense, if he ends up like popping off and ends up being like this fantastic dual threat quarterback, and he's in an offense with Ayuk and Debo and like Kittle and like some of the other guys they have up there, that's going to be unstoppable. So it's just a question of like, do you, like you said, like, I think you made a really good point. It's risk assessment. It's this guy has all the talent in the world, but I'm admitting on this podcast that there's also a good chance that he could totally bust. Like he, he has that variance. It is a very high spectrum for him. And it's just my personal feeling that he's going to be on the higher end of that spectrum. And I think if you believe that, then you draft him. And if you are not a hundred percent convinced that he's going to be on the high end of that spectrum, don't take him. But I just think that San Francisco would just be such a perfect place for him because he could sit behind Garoppolo for like a year or two until he's like really ready to play. But, you know, we'll see, we'll see what they do. Yeah. And I mean, I think it would be helpful for him to get kind of that Mahomes treatment of just spend a year, even just one year doing all the crazy shit you want to do on the practice squad, figure out what doesn't work. I mean, ideally really like, you know, obviously you don't want to bench him for too long, but like even like the Aaron Rodgers experience of like riding the bench for multiple years before you start playing like, but, but like I said, like if you're drafting Trey Lance, you are not drafting for the next two to three years. You're drafting for the next 15. Like, do you think that he's going to be your franchise quarterback for a long, long? We, we really still need to see like, can he do an actual full progression through routes? You know, we don't really see that with what he was doing. Um, he might go one to two, but he's not going one, two, three, four. But I mean, if he ever gets to that point, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, he needs a lot of coaching. And like I said, like I, I really think that the situation is going to dictate a lot for him. Like if he goes to San Fran or like I was kind of thinking Atlanta too, like if Atlanta wanted to take him at four and give him some time to develop behind Matt Ryan, like you imagine him in that Arthur Smith offense. I he mean, could be a monster in that offense too. But like if he goes. If you can fix someone that was ruined by Adam Gase, <laughs> I think you're probably the right man. To- but no, like it's, it's a good point. Like if he ends up in a place where he has like, you know, an Adam Gase type coaching him up, like he is very likely to fall on the lower end of the spectrum. So, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this after the draft. We'll do like a post-draft podcast, kind of talk, you know, look at where some of these guys landed and what the best fits are. But yeah, I'm, I'm big on Trey Lance. I'm just, I'm putting it out there, recording it. I think he's going to be really good, uh, but you got to give him a couple of years. Don't judge him based on next year, guys. He needs some time. Where do you want to go next? We got two guys. Yeah, we can do McCorkle. Yeah, McCorkle. I think like, okay, I, I also want to throw this out there because I got a little feedback from the last podcast that were, people were upset that I was making fun of his name. I'm not making fun of his name. I think it's awesome. He, awesome. I believe it's like after his like grandpa or something, his middle name is McCorkle. And like, 
it's, it's a sweet name. Mac Jones is a sick name, dude. That's like an NFL name. Like you can, I think sometimes when you like hear about these prospects, you kind of have to think of like the highlight in your head. And I could totally see like Mac Jones goes deep. Like that's a sweet, like that's a good NFL name, man. So I'm not making fun of him. I just, it's just a different name. You know, McCorkle is just a little different, but why don't you, you're higher on him than uh, I am. So why don't you start us off with Mac Jones? Yeah. So uh, we kind of talked about the processing, like going through reads with uh, Trey Lance a little bit. Mac Jones is polar opposite. He is the only one of these five quarterbacks that is actually ready to do that on an NFL level right now. Um, like you can, if you really watch him, there's plays where you see him go legitimately one, two, three, four, five back to his check down in under two seconds. And on average in the NFL, the time to throw is about two and a half seconds. So if you're doing that in under two seconds, you're ready in that area. Um, and that's really important because like you cannot be waiting on things in the NFL. It's going to happen a lot faster. That's the biggest issue that players have, regardless of position, when they move to the NFL, is adjusting to the speed of the game. And if you're already like processing things and knowing, all right, I need to go here, you're good. Um, that, and it's, and it's going to help with him, you know, like already being decent with pre-snap reads and all that stuff. The next thing that I really like is that he just like understands the situation too um you don't see him throwing a three yard pass on like third six he's gonna find a find the guy that you know is gonna get him that six yards if not more and get it done uh it's really really important situational awareness is a core he stays on schedule really well uh his timing throws we talked about that with some other quarterbacks he's generally on time there are some missed opportunities with him but it's not so when i say he misses some opportunities he's not not getting the completions when he's late but you'll see like certain situations where if he gets that ball out early it's a touchdown but he gets it out a little late and then when the receiver ends up catching it, they get tackled at like the five. So that's honestly, I feel like that's just a minor adjustment. It's not like, oh, he's processed that slow. It just, oh yeah, maybe need to anticipate that a little. Because you see a lot of times on the quicker timing routes, his anticipation is really good. He gets the ball out quick on like the quick hitters. Um, which is a big part of your just about any on NFL offense. You're not going deep on every. Generally, pretty good at you know understanding zone coverage, finding that hole. Uh, I really like his ability to hit that that deep dig route at the end. I feel like that's super frustrating for defenses too, when you just can't stop them dropping a 25, 20 yard in route like 
it's right in the middle of everyone, but you still can't stop it sometimes. He is not afraid to take his shots, which ironically, he has the weakest arm out of all of these quarterbacks. But that does not mean that his arm is weak per se. It is a functional arm strength for the NFL level, I believe. Uh, he, he makes some pretty, some fairly tight windows. And honestly, he was better with that than Tua was. That's a hill that I'm willing to die on, that he's better than Tua. The only thing I'll say about the tight windows is uh, one of the things that popped up when I was uh, kind of scouting him is that he he threw into like he can make the tight window throws but in his last year at Alabama he actually threw into very very few tight windows the stat I heard was that he threw into about I think it was either one-third or one-fourth as many tight window throws as Joe Burrow had his senior year at LSU so I think he threw into about like 40 tight window throws last year which is not to say that he can't because he can but I'd just throwing it out there that he doesn't have a ton of experience with it I mean, I think you you hit a lot of good things with Mac Jones. The the only other thing I wanted to add about like the positives is that his intangibles are off the charts uh, as far as like leadership and the guys in the locker room loving him. They obviously all his guys came out uh, and said that he's a better quarterback than Tua recently. Like the wide receivers, like Smith and Waddle, and those guys are like, oh yeah, we we like this guy more. What are they gonna say? They're not gonna come out and say like, Oh, you know, he's great, but he's not as good as Tua because they're trying to like hype up their guy for the draft. You know, you also got to consider they didn't have to say that they didn't have to come out and like put their opinion on the line like that. So like, as far as uh, Mac Jones's intangibles are concerned, do you want to tell the scout team story or do you want me to? So this is a great story. What has it? And I love this. Uh, he was on uh, the practice, you know, he was the scout team quarterback and he just kept throwing bombs on the starting defense and they were completing it. And Saban goes over to him. He's like, dude, you got to stop this. And his response allegedly was tell the defense to stop it. <laughs> the best response you could possibly. Have. I know that's the old like movie. This is like the thing with him is like, it feels like almost like a movie. This is the old movie trope where the scout team quarterback is destroying the starting defense. And they're like, they yell at the scout team quarterback and he's like, coach, it's the defense that sucks. And then like that guy goes on to win a national championship like years later. But also keep in mind when we're talking about him destroying the starting offense or destroying the starting defense with the scout team offense, but this is at Alabama. These are like the best players in all of college football that he's killing with like scout team players, but you know, also the scout team is all five-star prospects as well. So. Right. And uh, you know, that was Patrick Sertan at corner. Um, was it Trevon Diggs? Is that who they had? It probably would have been at the time. Yeah. I mean, but like really good guys who are going to be NFL yeah, starters. Like, so cover man corners, like, Guys who specialize in stopping just that. He just, he's so good at all like the little things, dropping it in between the layers of the defense and using a little bit of touch. Uh, Obviously, there's room to grow. He's like, what, 22? What 22 year old quarterback is 
you know, in a place where they couldn't use, you know, to look off safeties a little bit better. Or The other thing I'll say is just that he was like, and part of this is a result of like having so much talent around him at Alabama, but he was super efficient last year. Yeah. And he, he actually set the passer efficiency rating record. He broke Joe Burrow's record for passer efficiency in college football. The downsides, like I obviously I have him as my fifth quarterback on my list. And like, there's just a couple concerns is that he had one year as the full-time starter. And again, it's like the same thing with Zach Wilson. Like he was the full-time starter during the COVID season when defenses were like really bad all across the board. And he had this monster season. He also has so much talent around him in that Alabama offense that, like I said, he threw into very few tight windows and he also faced the second least amount of pressure of any quarterback in this entire draft last season. The only quarterback who faced less pressure than him was uh, I think Brady white from Memphis who is probably like a sixth or seventh round pick in this draft if he gets drafted at all. So he faced very, very little pressure. And then just like you said it, the arm, the arm is great, but not elite. And the athleticism is like good, not great. Definitely not elite level. Like he's more athletic than people give him credit for, which is why I'm saying like good instead of fair. But it's just like when you, it's more of a function, like my rankings and having him fifth is just more of a function of comparing him to the other guys in this draft who have like elite arm talent and have like elite athleticism. And like, this is the reason I have him behind field to we'll touch on a little bit. is just that like, if I'm looking at the future of NFL offenses and thinking like, okay, I want elite arm talent. I want mobility. I want like all these things. It's not that he can't do those things or that he doesn't have those things. It's just that you're going up against four other guys who have those things in spades. And so like, this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Mac Jones is going to be bad in the NFL. And like, if the Patriots drafted him at 15, I'd be ecstatic that he fell that far. I'd be like over the moon. I'd be so excited about it. But it's just when you're comparing him to like these guys who have elite running ability and like elite playmaking ability out of the flow of the offense, that's why I have him fifth. Yeah. And I, and I totally get that, but you know, I look at it, I look at the NFL and some of the guys that we've seen kind of overcome some limitations, obviously, I'm not saying he's Brady, but like Brady has shown that you can generate ball velocity and not lose accuracy when you don't have an elite arm arm talent. Like that's never been Brady's calling card, arm talent. He's worked at it and found ways with body mechanics to optimize that and be the best quarterback of all time. Drew Brees never had a great arm. And- absolutely critical shoulder injury on his throwing shoulder and is still like probably a top three quarterback all time when you really look at all of his career numbers and the things that he did but oh we'll we'll do the all-time quarterback rankings on an off-season pod we'll get there but uh he he found a way to like use his core to generate more power and velocity on his throw because he knew that his arm was not top tier and he's like the most accurate quarterback we've ever seen. Um, 
And so I, I kind of look at it and think, okay, is he there yet? No, but we look at his intangibles. We look at his, look, the fact that he started this year should be shocking given the fact who's on that roster. He freed up, he beat up Bryce Young, who is immensely more talented than him. That should say something about the man's demeanor, his drive to be better, all that stuff. Like, he's clearly a massive competitor. And I'm not saying that he has the same tools as all these guys, because he clearly doesn't. Although, anyone calling him slow, he ran the same 40 time as your favorite quarterback. (laughs) You know, he's not nearly as fast as you think he is. He ran a 4-8, just like Mac Jones. Yeah. Yeah, so the only thing I would say, you brought up, like, the fact that there are quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees who – can win they win more with their mind than any of the, like their physical tools but i would say that those guys are more the exception than well, the rule my my point is more that they also found ways to utilize like the body mechanics to like all to like add on to their physical abilities yeah well. yeah for sure i just wanted to throw out there that when you're talking about two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, these guys are, yeah, these guys are the exception in that like it is much easier to succeed in the NFL when you have all of the physical gifts and all that. So I think we've seen like, yeah, he has great intangibles, but like how many quarterbacks have we seen that like their intangibles are their best quality. And then they end up like kind of becoming game managers at the NFL level. I mean, that's definitely a thing, but I also think that not very many of them have led as explosive of an offense as he did. Now, granted, yes, the defense was weaker this year, but keep in mind, he technically had less weapons than Tua had. Oh yeah, no, and I, I'm not. I'm not comparing him to Tua, but I'm saying like, yeah. yeah. But also, he had a wide receiver who was the first wide receiver to win the Heisman and forever. Right, but yeah. again, how how much of it was him? I was just about to say it's a really tough thing to parse, though. Is that like, did the talent around him make him better, or did he make the talent around him better? Um, in the case of like Devonta Smith, you know, and we'll break him down into different. I would say we know Devontae Smith is really, really good outside of Mac Jones because he's had multiple seasons of being good, just not multiple seasons where he was the main target on that offense. And that like, you know, because after Waddle got hurt this year, Devontae Smith like skyrocketed. Playing him for at the start of the season before he got hurt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's just like there's so much talent on that offense and he faced so little pressure there that like yeah, I mean, a guy who's going to be a first-round pick in the NFL should have a huge season like that. So, but like, yeah, but at the same time, he also broke the passer efficiency rating. So, it's just like a hard thing to parse is like how much of it is the skill around him, and how much of it is him. But I, I think like when you look at the tools and think like his best quality is his intangibles, that he's going to fall somewhere on the spectrum of like David Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo to 
Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And it's like, where is he going to fall on that spectrum? Like, is he closer to game manager or is he closer to like elite NFL player? I guess is the thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't see his play style as that of a game manager. Like he plays smart, but you also can see him attack downfield. Um, he he wants to treat every defense like the uh, Alabama starting defense. Those guys that just have a little bit of chip on their shoulder, like clearly he's the least talented in this group. And I don't know if you want to buy low on those guys, you know? Like, yeah, it's like he's one of those guys where if he did fall, like if he gets picked third, the chip on his shoulder may not be as big. But like if he falls a little bit and he is like the fifth quarterback drafted, like we're talking about like a massive chip on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's get on to our last guy. If I ever think about what I was going to say about Mac Jones, I'll bring it back up. But uh, <laughs> so the last guy on our list is uh, Justin Fields, the quarterback from Ohio State. Do we we both have him fourth? uh i believe i yeah he's four for me now so okay yeah he's four for me as well this is like the first thing we've agreed on since trevor lawrence he is a really interesting prospect i think you know if you get into the good about him he's another guy who has elite athleticism he has good throwing ability very accurate when he throws the ball and he has great running ability like talk about uh, NFL comp for this guy. One of the ones I heard throw out is that he could be like a Cam Newton type of player um, with his like size and athleticism and his ability to run the ball. You know, the other things, monster game against Clemson in the playoffs after like he's he's tough as hell. Like he took that huge shot from Clemson's middle linebacker and broke at least one rib. I like if you watch the replay, like that's just an absolute brutal shot. Like he is playing the rest of that game with jelly on his insides instead of bones and organs. And he ends up throwing six touchdowns. So like big game on a big stage for him. And then like elite athleticism. But when you get into the negatives on him, really bad pocket awareness, probably the worst out of all these quarterbacks. Part of that is that he holds the ball a little too long. And part of it is like, if you, and I I know what game you're going to want to bring up here in a minute, but if you watch the Penn state game, if you watch like the tape from that game, they're like doing stunts and they're blitzing in the front and he's just not picking any of that up at all. And it's like, dude, all you got to do is just move around in the pocket a little bit and buy yourself a little bit more time. And he's just repeatedly taking sacks in that game and like taking it. But like, that's not to say that he can't become a great pocket passer because of his athleticism that'll around allow him to move around in the pocket and obviously, like I talked about his size, like he's another guy who's built. So he's tough to bring down when you get there. But the problem is that like, he doesn't always see you coming. Yeah. There's, I know a lot of people like him. So I'm going to start off with the positive. Um, Cause there is a lot, a lot to like. Um, you mentioned his accuracy and that is particularly true on his deep ball. Like, he throws a beautiful deep ball. It is picturesque, really. Um, and you've heard me mention a bunch of times, 
I'm really, really big on throwing the ball deep. I think it is incredibly important to have a consistently effective NFL offense because if you're not attacking downfield, well, we saw what happened to the Saints in uh, that playoff game. It's the Bucks just jumped on everything short. When he's in the shotgun, uh, I've actually heard some people criticize this. He takes this. He takes a snap. And then just kind of like pivots back into his stance and just kind of stays there. And he like, like, oh, it looks flat-footed. I'm like, what's going on? No, he's ready to throw. He's it's very similar to what Tom Brady does, actually. Um, get Just gets in position to get the ball out. And I really like that because you need to get the ball out quick, which ironically leads up to my biggest criticism of him, but I'll get to that later. Is I don't think he's got the strongest arm. I, I think that's clearly Wilson, but I don't know why the velocity on his throws just popped out more to me than anyone else. Like, he, you see the velocity. Um, it's very present and really impressive. Um, and then just what he can do athletically is I know you said that you think Lance is a better runner I don't know if better is right um I think they're different uh he's I think he's got more speed and moves whereas Lance is more of a power guy uh someone that's Steve McNair in him I've seen him spin move at full speed which is crazy you just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of part of the, you know, me saying that Lance is like a better runner than him, quote unquote, is also maybe just that Fields didn't have like as many opportunities to run the ball at Ohio State. Like you look at like his rushing totals over his career. He, you know, at Ohio State, he had two, like kind of a season and a half in his full season. He ran for 484 yards but 10 touchdowns. And then, you know, this past season, he only played eight games, but he ran for 383 and five touchdowns. So yeah, me, me saying that I think Lance is like a better runner, you know, maybe better, like you said, maybe better is not the right word, but like, they're both obviously, you know, great elite athletes for sure. My biggest criticism of him is that I feel like his processor might be a little bit slow. Uh, he, you mentioned that he hold he hangs on to the ball for a long time, and I think that's why. I know people have said, "Oh, well, you know, the receivers are running option routes, and he has to wait for them to decide." But that's not really how option routes work. Uh, the receiver and the quarterback are supposed to be reading the defense the same way, and so you need to be making that read and throwing the ball there before they're making their break. Because uh, that ball should be on them as they're making that break. You, you just see him late on timing throws more frequently than what you should be comfortable with for an NFL quarterback. And yeah, could that get better? Absolutely. He could end up being the best one of this group. He's got the talent for it. But it's just so consistent. And the first game I watched 
you already know this is coming, was the Indiana game. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Before you do Indiana real quick, I just wanted to say, because you stole my point about the option, like the reading the options <laughs> offense kind of thing, because I wanted to bring that up as well. Just as a disclaimer, again, like I'm talking about the single greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, the Patriots ran a lot of option routes when Tom Brady was their quarterback back in the good old days that I won't reminisce about too much on here. The thing that made their offense work so well is that Tom Brady and his receivers were on the same page, reading the defense the same way. And like you said, the ball was on them as soon as they made their breaks. Tom Brady did not hold on to the ball too long because they were running an offense where the wide receivers had to read the defense as well. Like in my concern about Justin Fields in that area is that he's waiting for the receiver to read the defense and then throwing it to them. He goes, oh, okay, he thinks it's going to be a post, so I'm going to throw a post. And that's not how you're supposed to read it. You're supposed to say like, oh, I think this is going to be that. This dude better be on the same page. Let's let it rip. Like that's the old Tom Brady thing. And that's the old, you know, Tom Brady throws an interception because his wide receiver doesn't read the defense the same way. And he gets that nasty look like, what were you reading kind of thing? And he's getting yelled at on the sideline. Like you got to, if you're a wide receiver, the onus is on you to read the defense correctly. If your quarterback is reading the defense correctly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it concerns me that he's not making those reads. Yeah. When I, when I have a quarterback, I want them to make the play that they think is right. And then deal with the consequences. later. Like if you're second guessing yourself, you're going to get eaten alive in the NFL. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to say is that if he really is deferring to his receiver's read of the defense, that that concerns me. So, yeah, that's that's an issue. Um, yeah, but go ahead, tell us about the Indiana game because I know you're chomping at the bit. This is the game that made me fall in love with Jamar Johnson. You're going to hear me talk about him later in our draft coverage because he was playing mind games with. Justin Fields the entire game. I highly encourage everyone go watch that game because it was honestly just cruel what he was doing to him. Um, The first interception that Justin Fields throws in that game, Jamar Johnson is playing deep. uh, He's dropping back on one of the hashes. He opens his hips all the way to the left, but isn't actually moving to the left. And, you know, it'd be easy for any quarterback to see that. And be like, all right, so, like, he's got that part of the field. He's, I'm good to throw to the other side. He's already committed there. Thing is, Jamar was doing that on purpose, <laughs> which maybe this is a little bit too critical of – Justin Fields, but he waited. He actually had a window to hit the seam that he was throwing to. But as the common trend is, he threw it late. And as soon as he started to throw, this is one of the things I love about Jamar Johnson, Johnson, he flips his hips all the way to the other side, which is really hard to do, but he did it. And then he goes and undercuts the pass. He picked them off one more time that game, and you just could just kind of tell all game long, he wasn't sure what he was looking at. And if it was, you know, Jamar 
doing weird stuff in coverage to confuse him or you know faking blitz the entire defense was doing that they sent guys after him all game long the sense i got from justin fields watching that game is that once he's not sure what he's looking at he's kind of afraid to pull the trigger and and it's understandable but you're about to be an nfl quarterback so you don't really get that luxury anymore (laughs) um and so I was like, all right, well, let me watch another game that was a little bit rough and see if it was some of the same stuff. And so the next game I watched was Northwestern. And I heard him get some praise for that game. And a lot of it was like, oh, well, they won the game and they didn't have Chris Olave, which, yeah, you didn't have Olave, but you have an Ohio State receiver room. I think you should be okay. They are a bit of a factory in that territory. Um, and it was really more of the same. He was under pressure a lot and just was not impressive as a passer. I just worry about that processor. I don't know if he – I know he can read defenses. I've seen him go one, two, three, fire. But, like – when things aren't going perfectly, can he still do that? That's what concerns me. Yeah, and he he's another guy that, you know, we're talking about variability with these quarterbacks. He's another guy who has high variability. Like, he has a chance to be absolutely elite, and he has a chance to bust. Like you said, like, he could be the best quarterback in this draft, or he could not be great a couple of years from now, and there's – some major concerns there that uh, he's going to need some coaching help on. He's like another guy where, you know, I just said this about Mac Jones. He's another guy where like, if, and I, I keep talking about the Patriots, but if the Patriots got him at 15, I'd be ecstatic. But like, there's been a lot of rumors lately that the Patriots may try to trade up to get Justin Fields. And like, I, yeah, I'd love to have him in new England, but he's a guy I would be concerned if we're going to give up four picks for him, you know, just because of the high variance. There's so much upside with him, but not knowing, like, does that processor work? And then there's just, like, little red flags, like, is that we mentioned his accuracy, but his short accuracy is actually pretty bad. Like, he's all over the place. He, PFF had it, like, in the red, which is usually really... It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think he... It's like we talked about with some of the other quarterbacks. It's fit, form, and function. Like, where do you land and how do you develop in that situation? Like, if he's the pick at three to San Francisco and he has some time to develop behind Jimmy Garoppolo, then, like, he could absolutely be a stud in the NFL. If he falls and the Patriots end up getting him or the Patriots trade up for him and he has a chance to learn from Bill Belichick and maybe sit behind Cam Newton for a year, then he absolutely has a great chance to be a great player. But if he gets put in a situation where he's expected to be the guy on day one and, you know, doesn't necessarily have the great infrastructure that some of these other teams have, then he's another guy who has a chance to not live up to his potential. I'll put it that way. I won't say bust, but. I think uh, Atlanta, if they're open to it, is a great spot for him. Yeah. Like, honestly, it might be the ideal spot for him. 
because he's essentially going to have like three quarterback coaches. <laughs> He'll have obviously his actual quarterback coach. It's going to have Arthur Smith, who turned around Ryan Tannehill, who I actually don't think is a terrible comp for him. And obviously, he's like a souped-up version of Tannehill in every way, but like really athletic runner, better at the deep ball than anything else as a passer. There's a little bit of that there. Um, and then he'll have Matt Ryan, who has been playing the quarterback position for a little bit of time now. Kind of. Uh, also, is just kind of a really good guy. Like, I think that's not a bad bad guy to help bring him along. So. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I'd, we'll talk about this with a lot of other prospects coming up this month, too, is just that, like, fit is just such a huge thing, but especially for these quarterbacks. Like, you know, someone like Trevor Lawrence, I think, can be – successful almost anywhere but like a lot of these other guys are going to need some time they're going to need some help some infrastructure you know it's like that with all prospects like these guys there are certain prospects who are just so freakishly talented like Kyle Pitts who they're just probably going to be great no matter where they go but quarterback is like a really specific position where it's really important to have the right infrastructure around these guys so yeah I felt like that was a pretty good breakdown the I remembered my lost point on Mac Jones. Uh, I just wanted to say real quick that, you know, we're talking about variance with these guys, like how big their window is. I feel like Mac Jones actually has the smallest amount of variance besides Trevor Lawrence. Very much so. Yeah. Like, I feel like his floor is that he's like a good starter, like a game manager kind of player. And it kind of goes up from there for him. Like, I feel like he's the safest pick. So Matt, you know, we talked about with Trey Lance that, he could potentially get you fired if you pick him too high and he doesn't work out. Same thing with Justin Fields. Like if, you know, Atlanta or San Francisco picks him and he's a bust, then people might get fired over that. But I don't think you have to worry about that with Mac Jones. I think the floor is the highest of anybody besides Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, his floor is like a somewhat less agile Alex Smith. You know, my opinions on Alex Smith. Yeah. It's not, it's not what you want from a first round pick, but if that's your floor, shit. Okay. Sounds yeah. Up. Like he's this, I think he's the safest pick beyond Trevor Lawrence, I guess. But the other guys, the high end of their potential is just so high that it's like so tempting with these guys. Cause I think the high end of their potential is higher than Mac Jones, highest variable outcome, basically. So how much are the Bears giving up to move up for him? Ooh. <laughs> we'll call Carlos in for that one. So that's all we got for today. Uh, we will be back next week to do some more NFL draft stuff. We are going to be doing NFL draft stuff this entire month. So if you love the NFL draft as much as we do, make sure you keep tuning in. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Overcast, Pocket Cast. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find Fouled Out. Matt and I are there. So thanks for doing this. This was fun. I know we were both looking forward to this for a long time. And... Oh, yeah, we were chomping at the bit. Yeah, obviously, we will judge all of these quarterbacks solely based on how they perform next year, and we will come back and see who was right and who was wrong. <laughs> Don't at me with your Trey Lance takes after week one or after year one. Give him time. <laughs>
I promise you he's going to be good. I got it. This is my gut feeling of the draft is that Trey Lance is going to be a star. I mean, this episode is just going to get deleted. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the, this is the thing about any draft podcast that you do is that no one's going to remember all the things we got wrong because we're never going to talk about them again. Like Justin Fields is the best quarterback after year one. This podcast, this won't exist at all. It just won't exist. Yeah. If you you guys want to like listen to more content about the quarterbacks, we, we probably won't talk about them as much going forward until the mock draft episode that we're going to do just because we broke them down in depth, but JT O'Sullivan's like a really good guy to go to. Um, The QB school on YouTube. It's a really, really good channel. Yeah. They're good. You could just Google like NFL draft scouting reports for quarterbacks. There's so many like great YouTubers and great content providers and, you know, doing this stuff and we appreciate them and we appreciate all you guys taking the time to listen to us do it as well. So Matt, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Cheers, my dude. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, Mom.